This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Hey, they come in and meet me. Y'all to see me eat now. Hit on the meat man. Y'all to see me eat now. I got jaws like a bat, trap a teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle green to show the hell that like to meet him the meat man. Y'all to see me eat Welcome everyone to a promised barbecue centric episode. With a little bit of baseball thrown in, episode number 41 of Baseball and BBQ. Who are you? I am Len Aberman, and you are... Jeff Cohen. I almost forgot who we were. I'm still I'm still coming off our, uh, our food coma. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> this week, we had a, a great time with none other than Sean Ludwig. Now... Some of you might be saying, who is Sean Ludwig? And some of you may be saying, it's about time you guys met Sean. For those of you who don't know who Sean is, Sean is a writer. He's uh, originally from Kansas City, Missouri. He's now a New York City boy. He does a column called NYC BBQ Weekly that you can sign up for. We're going to give you all the information. I can tell you right now, it's... The web address is nycbbq.com. You really want to sign up for that because if you sign up for that, you get a newsletter every week with all sorts of things. They'll they'll talk about restaurants in the city, recipes, I mean, just events that are going on. I mean, if you love barbecue, why not sign up for it? It's a free newsletter. It's really great. And that's that's basically for the New York City metropolitan area, but... Right. He also is a collaborator with someone else on a newsletter called The Smoke Sheet. Right. Which with, is national. Right. With Ryan Cooper, I believe. Right. Right. Who, uh, unfortunately, we did not have Ryan on with us, but they both put out The Smoke Sheet. You'll hear how, I think on the interview, you're going to hear how they met. Yes. Just just great, great time. We met, we met Sean at uh, John Brown Smokehouse, which is located in Long Island City. Uh, Jeff, you want to give the address? Okay, for those in the New York City area, the address is 10-43, 44th Drive, Long Island City. A very convenient way to get through by the subway, or you can drive there. You can, but I, the one thing now, the night we went, it was there was torrential rain. It made parking very difficult, but I think even if there wasn't torrential rain, parking is not the easiest around there. But I did find a spot. It's certainly easier after 6 o'clock to find parking. I don't know how it is on the weekend, though. But it was a delicious time. Oh, it was worth it. Definitely worth it. We had, You know, what happened is we got in touch with Sean. I, I guess, you know, when you start signing up for all these things and you follow people in the, in the barbecue world, you start to get emails. And I don't know how I saw it, but we saw something. We saw New York City Barbecue Weekly, subscribed to it, and I thought, 
What a great opportunity to get in touch with Sean, hopefully interview him for the podcast, talk about what he's doing. I mean, this is, he, he puts out a, a newsletter every week, and there is a lot of detail. You guys have no idea how much barbecue there is in this area. Well, not just this area. If you go to the smoke sheet, it's all national. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I didn't even know about the smoke sheet. Right. Yeah. Right. So at it, the time, it was just New York yeah, City Barbecue right. Weekly. The so, smoke sheet is a bonus. Right. Uh, absolutely. And they had a their latest episode, their latest episode, latest newsletter, which is actually dated uh, July thirty first, I believe, has the seven awesome BBQ podcasts that you should know. I, I think we made number eight. Right. They, they only listed seven. Yes, only seven. Although then they also said there were some extras. And we were not mentioned there either. So we did uh, uh, working hard to get into that top top seven or possibly top eight. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many podcasts out there. Ours are a little different because, you know, we're not just barbecue. We're also baseball. So we're not just baseball. We're also barbecue. So we try to, we try to walk the fine line between them. Sometimes they merge. As a matter of fact... Uh, I don't think it was in the interview because it happened after we turned off the microphone. But Sean, being from Kansas City, uh, is a big Kansas City Royals fan. And now that he's a, a New York City transplant, he is also a Met fan. So, But back in 2015, when they were in the World Series, uh, Sean was definitely rooting for the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, well, we'll forgive him. <laughs> one, one other thing is it, it definitely comes in handy to have people in the barbecue world because I was cooking ribs today. Jeff, you know, right? I was cooking. I was using the pit barrel cooker. Right. Cooking the ribs, and all of a sudden, plans changed. Uh-oh. Yeah. So the... the, the da 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 <laughs> Right. The, the, uh, the, the barbecue that I thought I was having today was right. not till tomorrow. But you were cooking today, though. Right. And, and ribs, to me, are best on the day you cook them. I would, I would think so. Right. So what do you do? You cook them and freeze them? Or well, first I, I, <laughs> I did two things. I tried getting in touch with Sean, and I also tried getting in touch with Shane Draper of Grill of Grills. Right. Right. And, and Shane, I call his number, his cell number. He doesn't answer. Of and course. I t- you know why? <laughs> well, <laughs> I found that out. We're recording on Saturday, August 10th. <laughs> I felt and, so stupid. And we uh, promoted this last time. <laughs> right. At Grill Fest. The Grill Fest. Right. And you, you call him on his biggest day of the year. Right. Not only that, but so when I didn't get a response, I texted him and he and he said and he actually responded. He said, I'm a I'm at Gorilla Fest, I'm about to do a demo and I felt terrible. As well you should. And then I also at the same time got in touch with Sean, because uh, I wasn't sure who was gonna get back to me. And I asked Sean I, what the the main question was, I wanted to know when they thought I should take the ribs off, you know, put them in the fridge. I wanted to make sure that I'm not taking, and have it for tomorrow, but I wanted to make sure that I'm not taking meat that's not fully cooked and putting it in the fridge. I don't want to have an issue with bacteria and all that. Sean was extremely helpful, though, and I really appreciated it. So, so what happened? So did you put it in the fridge? Was that Yes. I, what I did was I let it finish on the pit barrel, about three hours on the pit barrel they're baby backs and now what I'm going to do I wrapped them in foil they're in the fridge and then tomorrow I'm going to wrap them in butcher paper uh-huh. probably have them about an hour on the grill okay and then I'll unwrap 
unwrap them from the butcher paper, put some barbecue sauce on, and I think they'll be good. I think what the butcher paper is going to do is it's going to put some moisture back Keep the in moisture them. In. Okay. Yeah, right. I think that's what it's going to do. So, and I'll spritz with some apple juice too to to put some moisture in there. So Sound, I think that'll work. Sounds like a plan. Right. So Sean was very helpful. Of course, Shane would have been helpful if I didn't get, like you said, the, the busiest time of year. It's, it's probably like their Christmas almost. And do you right? want to announce the other news? No, I want you to announce the other news. Do you know what the other news is? I have no idea what you're about to say. No. We're back on Twitter, people. Yay! <laughs> we got a new Twitter. It's now at Baseball and BBQ. Please follow us. Comment. Like us, do whatever you need to do. Please follow us on Twitter at baseball and BBQ. And without further, as you like to say, Jeff, adieu, we would love to have you listen to our interview with Sean Ludwig, co author of the national publication, The Smoke Sheet, and author of New York City Barbecue Weekly, which is the whole tri state area. Enjoy the listen. Baseball and barbecue listeners, we are here with Sean Ludwig, and Sean is uh, the writer of the column called New York City Barbecue, NYC BBQ, which we will tell you about how to get that. Uh, He also puts out a column called The Smoke Sheet, and we will tell you about that as well. I think you're really going to be in for a very interesting interview. If you like barbecue... You are going to really enjoy this. So, Sean, welcome to Baseball and Barbecue. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on. I really appreciate it. So we're going to start right now with hard-hitting, straight to the fact, you put out a column, <laughs> and we're coming right at you. The smoke sheet came out, which, by the way, guys, the smoke sheet, I'm telling you, you will, you will thoroughly enjoy this. You, you have to get it. It's about barbecue all over the country. You will enjoy reading it. However, they came out with their top seven podcasts. Lo and behold, we were not mentioned in that top seven. Shocking. But, yeah. And then, okay, I was okay with that because there are a ton, as you mentioned. And then he we, said... We were number eight. Yeah, but, yeah, but that, that right. And they, they, they ran out of room on the page. Right. And then there were other podcasts mentioned. So what we're going to do with this interview and with... Meeting Sean for the first time is we're getting on that list. That's our goal. All right. Okay, here we go. I mean, just just for the record, you know, that was uh, just user error, obviously. If obviously, I if, yeah. if I if I had been more familiar, obviously it would have been on there. Um, and however, you are baseball and BBQ. Right. You are a dual topic podcast, and I believe if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but every single podcast that we mentioned is purely a barbecue podcast. Ooh. Sean okay. also he he, his, he can give it just his, if he can take it. He, and and I think he's a diplomat. He works yeah. probably works at the UN or something. That was very diplomatic. Uh, that was I, good. I do I do appreciate the dual topics because then you can uh, always find the intersection of the two where there are intersections. Like right. I'm from Kansas City, for example, right. which I'm sure you're going to ask me about. Oh, we, absolutely. We will ask you. And of course, the Kansas City Royals. Um, Jeff and I are both Met fans, so you guys kicked our uh, our butts in 2015 in the World Series. So we're not going there. It's okay. <laughs> I'll just say I saw it live, and uh, my condolences to you. I do like the Mets. I am a fan. I moved here, and I didn't have a National League team, and I've rooted for, been rooting for the Mets for a long time. 
Um, I, it was very, very weird that the two teams that I rooted for in baseball mm. played against each other. It didn't make any sense to me, but I'm very happy that my Kansas City Royals of, won. <laughs> of course, and we'll give that to you. We'll give that to you. Thank but Sean is actually a transplant from Kansas City, so tell us how Kansas City, a boy from Kansas City, ends up in the big city. It's, um, I think it's a relatively simple story and one that you see with a lot of people. Uh, you move somewhere for your career, right? I grew up in Kansas City, was very interested in, you know, eating good food and just being part of, you know, Kansas City. And, you know, I went to college, University of Missouri, which is a great journalism school. And that's what I studied. I studied journalism. I wanted to be in magazine journalism specifically. That's the, the category that I studied. And then I moved to New York with big dreams and hopes that somehow, you know, that would make some kind of sense for me. Um, I'm not working in magazine journalism uh, currently, <laughs> so uh, you can see what New York does. However, I will say that I came to New York and I started missing barbecue. Mm. And I started seeking it out. I wanted to find the best places to eat. I, you know, people would tell me, oh, have you been to so-and-so? Like, no, I haven't been. And I, I would try to go to all these great places. And that's, you know, where, you know, the, the interest in barbecue, is specifically in New York, starts with just missing it from home, missing it from Missouri. Wanting, wanting the very best barbecue that you can find because it used to be so easy to find great barbecue when you're in Kansas City and it's a little harder to find when you're in New York. Well, let me, let me follow that up. So one of my questions is, what is it about Kansas City that it is considered the barbecue capital, not just the United States, of the world? Ooh, you do ask the hard-hitting questions. Well, I would say that the fact that there's more than 100 barbecue joints in the metropolitan area means you can just walk down the street and there's a decent barbecue place maybe not the best barbecue place but a decent barbecue place and the pure breadth of options that you have in kansas city and the different styles that you can get your hands on there um, i think makes it such a staple now the fact that i've been introduced to so many different kinds of barbecue i'm not a kansas city purist like kansas city to me isn't the only barbecue that means anything to me i've had such good barbecue in so many cities including New York, including Austin, including Charleston. You know, I've, I've, I've been around, and I've had a chance to try beautiful, awesome barbecue in so many different kinds of forms. But Kansas City's going to be where my heart is, because that's where I grew up. That's where I first tasted barbecue. It's always going to be part of me. And I love going back to Kansas City and trying all the amazing barbecue that's there. We, we had on, um, I mentioned before, um, we, we just had uh, dinner at a, a place with Sean called John Brown's Smokehouse in Long Island City, which we highly recommend. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, I mentioned to Sean, I asked him if he had ever been to the uh, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and I told you about our interview with Bob Kendrick. The funny thing is, when we, we were talking about Bob Kendrick, and he, he fit two, two things, the baseball and the barbecue. And we asked him about barbecue, and then we asked him, does he barbecue? And his response was, when you live in Kansas City, there's no need to barbecue. <laughs> there, you're right. There is so much. There's so so many great places you can you can uh, go to, um, and you know a lot of people have room in their backyards. If you want to do some of your own grilling, you want to do some your own barbecuing, you can as well. So Kansas City is great for um, for that. I think I 
me personally, when I barbecue, I get more enjoyment, I think, out of people eating it and the actual just the whole, you know, barbecuing and the fun of preparing it and just the waiting for it and he, stuff. He likes you know? the accolades afterwards. That's what he likes. Yeah. Well, that's true, too. But it's, it's, the, but it's not even for the food itself. I think it's just doing it. There's a, there the is a lot of fun in doing it. Unfortunately, I don't have a backyard because I live right. in Brooklyn. That's right. And so I don't get the opportunity to right. make a lot of my own barbecue. I have assisted at many uh, many a backyard barbecue in the city and the surrounding areas, but I have not been uh, inviting people over and having them trying my food. Um, but I, you know, I get to live vicariously through all the great restaurants and events that happen in New York. And I also just, you know, just participate in the culture as much as I can. The, the barbecue in New York, and, and I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, New York meaning the five boroughs, and then let's expand to uh, maybe, uh, you know, New Jersey, Connecticut, whatever. The tri-state area is growing, right? Is, is, is that what's happening? It's getting bigger? I think it's absolutely growing. I think that you are seeing more and more interest in barbecue as a style of food and people are seeking it out. You are seeing opening of destination barbecue joints. Juicy Lucy in Staten Island is a very bold bet because it is a uh, almost like a Texas style with a, a few different, uh, different ideas thrown in there. Barbecue joint with very, very good barbecue in a really hard to get to place for a lot of New Yorkers. A lot of New Yorkers rely on public transportation. And this is a place that if you're not getting a car, it's very difficult to get there. They're making a bet that we are going to make a place where it is you must come for good barbecue. And so people from all over Staten Island, from New Jersey, from New York City, from all five boroughs are coming to this place in Staten Island to try very, very good Texas-style barbecue. And where's the pitmaster from? Uh, the main pitmaster is from Franklin Barbecue in Austin, Texas, and the fact that you've got somebody of that caliber means the food quality is going to be very high. Let me ask you about the different styles of, of barbecue. Uh, could you explain the difference between like a Kansas City style, a Texas style, and a North Carolina style, uh, and how do they get to be their own kind of genre? I honestly think that it's it's kind of it's kind of small to categorize them in each each way. I mean. Kansas City is traditionally known for burn-ins, which we just had some very delicious burn-ins. It's known for sauce. People in Kansas City love barbecue sauce. It's traditionally tomato-based sauce. Um, in Central Texas, you are not going to see sauce as a very emphasized thing. And beef is king. Brisket and beef ribs, that's what matters the most in Texas, Central Texas specifically. Texas is huge. It's its own country, basically. But we're talking about Central Texas, which has become one of the most popular uh, versions of barbecue. Um, you've got the Carolinas, and that's a whole other thing, too. Don't. It's hard to categorize mm-hmm. it because there's uh, North Carolina and South Carolina, and they like to fight with each other. However, we're talking in very general terms. There's vinegar-based sauce, and there's whole hog. And an emphasis on pork. Pork is king. But there's there's so much more to that, you know, that area than just, you know, being, oh, it's just vinegar sauce. No, no, that's short-sighted because when you start exploring it and getting into it, there's a lot more to it. Um, and then there's, I guess there's Memphis, and Memphis is a little bit of everything, actually. 
it's dry rub ribs, but like that's a small piece of the puzzle. And so I think you just really look at this. It is historically these all these different places and how they they've come into barbecue and you grow up in those traditions. And then you find out, you know, maybe when you're a little bit older, you're like, oh, the world's a little bit bigger than just those things. And so I think it's just about identifying some of the similarities of what unifies those cities and those cultures. But it's barbecue's a lot bigger than, than that, I think. In Texas, it's, it's a phenomenon with Franklin Barbecue. I think even if you're not a big barbecue person, you've heard it. Franklin Barbecue, where people, you know, line up at five and six in the morning, and and they sell out by two, three o'clock, and but it's not just a Franklin Barbecue; it's it's all over Texas. Uh, I mean, in a certain area, but people waiting in lines, and almost like a party, but for barbecue. What is going on with that? As somebody who has waited four hours in line at Franklin Barbecue, I can tell you it is about community. Number one, I think it's a communal experience. People all are traveling to Austin and around there to experience what is, you know, looked upon as, you know, one of the purest forms of barbecue. And I think Frank, Franklin is the probably the biggest pitmaster in the country. It, it doesn't hurt that he had a, a TV show. He's, you know, got some of the best-selling barbecue books of all time. Right. You know, just with that kind of pedigree, people want to come check out your place. And they're, wait, they're willing to wait for four hours in line. When I went there, the two gentlemen who were the front of the line drove from San Antonio so they could be there when the, you know, the doors opened. They got there at 6 a.m. And so you think about that enthusiasm that people would drive, you know, an hour and a half or two hours, or you're coming to town just to experience that. There is so much excitement about it. Um, and you could really go to probably 20 places in Austin and have very, very good barbecue uh, without hesitation. And so I think that's where the excitement comes from. There's so many good places. And the, the, the infectiousness is part of, it's like the passion. Everyone is so excited to be there. And so then, they, of course, they tell their friends. Oh, I went, I went to Austin and just ate barbecue. And then everyone's like, well, I need to go to Austin and eat barbecue. And it becomes a thing, right? right. It becomes uh, part of our culture. And this is the reason one of the things barbecue is so popular now because of things like Franklin, things like the, the barbecue trip, going to a city just so I could eat barbecue. Uh, and I'm really glad that that's uh, part of our culture now. It seems to me also, and uh, this is just a theory, barbecue... Especially, like, take a look at Franklin's barbecue, right? You see his videos and takes a brisket, puts salt and pepper on it. And some people will put garlic powder. But basically, there's hardly any spices on there, you know? It's all done with the wood that he uses, the way they wrap it, you know? It, it just And the, it's, it's such a simple... It, it's not. I'm not saying the process is simple, but it's not complicated. And I think... My theory, and this is probably convoluted, but right now we're in this whole fast pace, everything, the internet, the, you know, all this computer stuff. Barbecue is basic. It, it can be really basic. And even just the, the waiting, the, the fact that we're smoking the meat and it'll take hours to, you know, to make something. And you are forced to just wait and hang out and just enjoy yourself. 
it, there's something really nice about that, and I, and I think that people are, are grasping upon that. I think you're you're on to something there. I do. I genuinely believe that barbecue as a communal experience is really important. Mm-hmm. You're hanging out with your friends, your family, either you're cooking together or you're just eating together, and you're you're not connected to the internet, and you're just hanging out with your 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 pals, and also thinking about we're in such an instant culture, right? You can kind of get anything in a second, right? I can I can get a an Amazon delivery here in in a less than a day now and I'm like, what? Like things are crazy. Brisket can take 18 hours or more if you're really working hard at it. And so something like that is the opposite of instant culture. Yes. Mm-hmm. The actual having to put that amount of time in is crazy. And people like that. They're like, wow, that's dead. That's serious dedication. And most people aren't, are not equipped to deal with it. No, we're equipped to eat it, eat the product. But the actual art and the dedication and the passion of Fitmasters is something that's very attractive. Let me ask you about, the, you say the cooking and the preparing of, of the meats and all that. Is there, is there a... Which meats are best suited for like a charcoal grill? Which is best suited for smoking? Which is best suited for for a pellet grill? Is there any uh, rhyme or reason to that? Is there any? Uh, was it just personal preference? I honestly think it's personal preference because I've seen over the years so many different versions of how people cook. Um, some and honestly, you've, you've probably been around this enough times to know that there's all these different brands of grills. There's people that are loyal to certain brands and certain styles. Um, you've got pitmasters that have their own brand of grill, and then their fans will swear by those grills. This is the thing. Um, but I and and there's different techniques. I mean, brisket can be. Uh, you can do the, the wrapping technique. You can do a partially wrapped. You can do nothing. I've seen it. I've seen it all. And the thing is, I think that everybody has their own style. What you probably do is you do you follow some when you're getting started. Follow the the basics. Follow the Franklin style or whatever, and then work your way into what you how you want to do it. Right. Follow some of those basics. Tried and true ways. Try to make something edible, and then you work onto if you're like actually I think such and such works a little bit better. I want to start adding you know different spices to my to my rubs. I want to. I'm going to buy so and so's rub, and I'm going to combine it with my own blend, put it together, and that's going to be what goes on my brisket. Well, that's great. Like that's another reason people like barbecue because it can be custom. It can be your own your own thing. Um, so I, I don't really think there's a, there's a tried and true way that I would say this is how you must do it. And I also think that you know you should experiment. I'm, I, I don't want to ever say the only way to do it is this way. Um, the only thing is, I would say, I'm a little prejudiced against, um, you know, gas. Actually, I think real wood, real wood is is king in my book. So if you're just only using gas, well, you're probably going to end up with less flavor. So just unfortunately, but I will say, I mean, there's there's people that make great barbecue with gas assist. Um, you know, you can do it. You can be, you can do interesting things. But I, I mean, real wood is so important to barbecue that if you're not using real wood, like maybe it's maybe stick to grilling. 
you know, and 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 what Sean's saying is, it, it is. It's always making changes. It's always coming up with new ways to do things. I mean, just recently, I started. I used to, you know, the whole Texas crutch, the wrapping in foil. I would make ribs, and I would wrap them in foil. But what I was finding was I was losing the bark. You know, that hard-earned bark. Um, yeah, I would wrap them in foil, and yes, you know, everybody seemed to like them. They would fall off the bone tender. That's what everybody wants, even though contests want, you know, to have a tug, whatever. But I had that, I, I lost the bark. I got butcher paper. Now, butcher paper is supposed to be where it's a, you wrap it, but it can breathe. And I've been using butcher paper now, and I like it better. But that, again, is just something, it's a little change, you know, it's not a, it, well, it, it's just taking something that you're using to wrap it a little different, and it made a big difference. So just these little things can, can change things, and it's just it's it was fun to experiment with it. You know that's a it, that's how it is. It's it's just it's experimentation, and I agree with you. It's just the whole thing. It's whatever you do, just have fun with it. I I think that that's a good way to look at it. I think you should continue to always always experiment. Keep keep changing, you know. Don't, don't right. yeah, I mean, if you find something and you love it and you just die hard about it, go with it. But you know, continue to make changes if you want to make changes. You know, there are so many things um, that come out. I mean, whether it's re- you know reverse searing. I just started reverse marinade, or we saw something about I'll grill a lot of fish, and where you grill the fish and instead of marinating it beforehand, you marinate it after which is a whole other thing. And so, again, all these different things come out, and it's, it, it's wild, right? Right. So let's, let's talk a little about uh, your, your, your blog or uh, a column. I, what, are you, what is this category as? Well, two things. One is a blog, and one is a newsletter. Okay. So NYCBBQ originated as a blog covering the best barbecue, and over the last year or so, I've transformed into mostly being a newsletter about New York City barbecue, and um, that's been very successful for me. Right. And how can people uh, subscribe to it? Pretty simple. NYCBBQ.com slash newsletter is where you sign up. Uh, there may be also a pop-up when you go to the website that you can just put your email address in. But um, I'm also available on every social media network, pretty much, uh, NYC BBQ or New York BBQ. Okay. How do you find out, guys, th- there is so much information yeah, in this, in this newsletter. Yeah. yeah. How do you get all this information? It, I, I feel like it's almost like the old gossip columnists where, where they would not... Where they got to be, they had contacts. People would get, they would call them with the information. That's, there's got to be a way that you're getting all this information. It's, it's a combination of things. One, people will let me know um, about what's going on. They you know there's a particular event going on or uh, news they want to share. They're very excited about. They'll reach out to me. Um, two, I use uh, Google Alerts, you know, just to track a bunch of different keywords and try to find the best bits of that. And that's a little tedious, but, you know, there's a few gold nuggets in there. Um, and then social media, right, is um, reading about barbecue on social media and being able to identify, oh, this is a story or this is a trend or there's an event coming up that looks really cool, so I should include this. It's New York City BBQ Weekly. It's not just exclusive to New York City because you have things in Hudson Valley, other parts of New York. 
I look at this as a resource for the Northeast, especially the tri-state area. I think there's actually a lot of good barbecue happening in New Jersey and in New York and Connecticut. I do think even just some of the outskirts, you start going a little further out, you can find some good barbecue as well. And I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of good barbecue, not a lot of coverage. So I'm there to fill that gap in and make sure that if you like barbecue, you live in the Northeast, you should be reading my newsletter. And for Smoke Sheet, that covers the rest of the country? So the Smoke Sheet is a weekly barbecue newsletter that covers barbecue from a national perspective. So all the biggest barbecue stories that are going on across the country, including the Northeast, are included in the Smoke Sheet. And uh, that's also been going on for about a year uh, with my business partner, Ryan Cooper, the BBQ tourist. And, you know, Ryan is, you know, such a a great guy. And so I'm super glad that we met in line at Snow's in Lexington, Texas, which is ranked as the number one barbecue joint in Texas by Texas Monthly. And we met there. We sparked up a friendship. And eventually we started working together on the Smoke Sheet newsletter. And I just kind of pitched him on the idea very simply that barbecue, there's so much interesting things happening in barbecue right now. How can we keep track of it? And we were having a hard time just ourselves keeping track of what's interesting about barbecue, what's happening in events, what's happening in the news. And we said, why don't we just start compiling this and we will actually be uh, the source where you can find out about all the best events and all the best news happening in in barbecue. If you are interested in getting the smoke sheet, you can go to bbqnewsletter.com and get the smoke sheet uh, delivered to your inbox every week. Yeah, yeah. As you said, you do that with Ryan Cooper. I saw that he also has the barbecue tourist, like you said. How to give him a plug? It, all of that stuff. But is barbecue tourist separate, or is that part of the smoke sheet, or how's that work? Um, they're separate but related. So okay. both in my my project NYC BBQ and his project BBQ Tourist both inform the smoke sheet because I'm keeping track of what's happening in the Northeast, but I'm also dabbling in what's happening around the country. He's going to a lot of these awesome barbecue places around the country, more than I'm able to go to. Um, I still, I go to as many barbecue places as I can, but he's got me beat by sheer number of places that he's been to. And I think that our powers combined, uh, we are able to, we're able to cover the country. We're able to, you know, find out all the best things that are happening. And it's been, it's been very exciting to, to hear from people we really respect in the industry say, I read the smoke sheet every week. And I'm like, I feel good about that. I feel like we are a resource for people who love barbecue to find out here's what's going on in the world of barbecue every week. These publications, which again are great, continue with the publications. But what, what do you see as your vision for the future with all of these? I mean, just... I guess, you know, where's it, where's it going? Books? I mean, TV shows? Movies? Where are we going? I honestly, I, I'm not going to rule out any of that. Um, <laughs> but what I would say is think about this as a base of where we want to be, and then we're going to grow. And I think uh, expanding into video, uh, I don't know about podcasts. You guys, there's a, as you know, there's a lot of good podcasts, there's a, a lot of good podcasts, podcasts yes. out there. And we just even had a, one of the one of our one of the top barbecue podcasts not too long ago ended its run. So, uh, now which which the, was that? Was oh behind, behind the, the smoke? Oh, behind yeah, the smoke. they got to episode 100 and they stopped. Mm. But anyway, point is, there's a lot of good bar- barbecue podcasts. Maybe we right. don't need to go there. 
But I think that there's a lot of ways that we could grow the smoke sheet, ways I could grow in my CBBQ, and make sure that you know every facet of the barbecue world we're hitting and we're, we're a part of it. This can eventually, could this be a full-time job, career? I think it could be, but I honestly think that a lot of people in barbecue do barbecue as a hobby and do it because they love it. And I, I've talked to so many competition people. They're like, no, no, I have a full-time job, you know, but I, on the weekends, this is, my, this is my thing. This is what I do. And I honestly, I'm very realistic about that, that like, you know, maybe in five years, this can be a full-time you know, job, but not right now because I got to pay the bills. And so I'm a freelance writer and editor. That's what I do to pay the bills. But I, you know, I love barbecue. I do think this can be, you know, a lot bigger than it is now. And the barbecue world continues to grow as well. So as more people are getting interested in barbecue, as the number of barbecue restaurants continues to expand for the most part around the country, we are, we're in a good place. You, you mentioned uh, competitions. So you list a lot of competitions in your weekly newsletter and I assume in the smoke sheet as well. I assume you go to them. Do you uh, ever judge them? Because you are uh, one of the foremost experts we know of, of barbecue. I, unfortunately, I've been, trying to get, I've been trying to do a judging class for the Kansas City Barbecue Society for years. They host maybe one a year in the Northeast. And that it's like, I can't, I can't, I want to get, I want to become a certified judge and do it right. And that's, I think KCBS has the most competitions of any organization in the country. And I want to become a certified judge, but uh, they need to have more certified judging classes. There's a lot more in the Midwest, naturally, than there are in the Northeast. And with one a year, I mean, it's kind of hard to, uh, to make that work. So I would like to do more judging, but uh, unfortunately not yet. One of the things that I, that I am disappointed with in this area, and maybe you could tell us that I'm wrong and, and there are other contests, there's, the one, there, there's one contest, KCBS contest, in Staten Island. It happens, I think it's April? like in April, yeah. April, it's always March, early yeah, April, we went, in the April, April. Right. Yeah. yeah, we went to it last year. Um, we interviewed some people. We had a great time, but one, there weren't a lot of participants, um, and two, it was cold. You know, it's kind of rainy and cold. Um, not the best time of year to have a competition here. Are there going to be other competitions, or are there competitions that we're not aware of? So right now, the NYC BBQ cook-off in Staten Island is the only KCBS-sanctioned competition each year in the New York City city limits. <clears throat> there are other KCBS competitions in the tri-state area, but unfortunately, not that many. So it is something I think there should be more of, but you have to have enough people that are willing to you know, organize, put it on. There needs to be good space for it. it there needs to be, you know, all the, the right paperwork needs to be done. But I do think you need to have just enough enthusiasm and people that really care need to be running it. And so that, unfortunately, right now, there, there, isn't, that, there isn't that much. These competitions also, and you've probably seen this, it's almost like the haves and the have-nots. You see these huge rigs, these, these almost like coach buses that these people come in on, and they've got these cookers, thousands of dollars for these cookers. Um, at least when we went... And then, and then you see the Staten Island, uh, I mean, in that competition, there were some people with their Weber Smoky Mountains. And they actually made, had their own that they built. Right, they were, right, exactly. So, but 
but I, I think that, yeah, and they were sleeping in tents, but those are dwindling. It's more now, it seems like uh, the, the people with a lot of money who have these big rigs, and, and, and those are the ones that are, are going to the competitions now. That seems to be the way it's going. I mean, I've seen every variation at competitions. I've seen people with big rigs and a lot of money do really well, and I've seen people with not that much do really well. So I still think, you know, talent means more than anything else. Um, but unfortunately, you're right. There is a proliferation that if, you know, you got a lot of money and you want to do this as a hobby, you can, and you have that access. But I still think that talent means a lot more than anything else, and I've seen amazing, you know, upstarts that don't have a whole lot do amazing work. We just came from a dinner with delicious burnt ends and, and ribs and pork bellies. My question to you is, what kind of meat is unusual to barbecue? You know, we usually, we here, we, we always cook ribs and, and turkey and chicken. Is there any type of meat that you've seen that is unusual, not the usual type of uh, things to barbecue? I would honestly say that if there's some if there, if there's meat, it's been barbecued. <laughs> so uh, we're seeing interesting cuts of beef start to proliferate menus, but not really in New York. Like beef cheek is kind of interesting, and that's coming up. I would say that, like barbacoa on like menus is also becoming it's in more of a national trend that you're seeing on more barbecue menus. But I would say that. In the New York area, am I thinking of anything particularly interesting? Maybe lamb belly. You get lamb belly um, down at Hometown Barbecue, and they have a lamb belly banh mi, which is amazing. The, you know, there's a there's and then there's specials, right? There's uh, barbecue specials that you might just randomly run into, particularly good. But I don't I don't think that New York is quite at the place where we would have. Um, you know, some crazy out of this world cut that's getting barbecued. Uh, yeah, in New York, and anywhere naturally, seeing something you know unusual. Well, go to Texas. You're going to see the most interesting uh, types of cuts get thrown okay. in, into the mix. Okay. But I, you know, personally, I'm not. I'm not seeing um, at least for my neck of the woods. I'm not seeing anything crazy on the menus just yet. How about Gator? No, I, right. I have had Gator, and it's not. It's usually a special at events more than anywhere else. Okay. Unfortunately, a lot of Gator that you'll ever get at like a bar, restaurants, frozen, you know, with lots of you know per- preservatives and whatever, and it's just like, nah. Doesn't taste like chicken though, right? <laughs> it's it's close, but it's, it's everything just, tastes like chicken. It's just fine. Gator's fine. Like it's. I think I've I've had the best version of Gator of like smoked Gator and it was still like good but it didn't blow my mind so I know it's it's a fun thing more than like that it would actually you'd want it on your menu. All right, Sean, if you are stranded desert island, one type of smoker that you could have, what are you choosing? And what's the meat that you're making on it? Um, man, I'll tell you this. I wish that I could give you a good answer on this, but I don't think I can because I don't know my smokers like I should. I know my smokers. Um, I will tell you, being in a tight room with an oiler that's just blowing that smoke in your face is like um, a trial by fire, a trial by smoke, if you will. 
And, um, you know, I've, I've been around a lot of good smokers, but I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, Old Hickory's my brand or whatever. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. I just, I'm not going to say one or the others is my, my go-to. If I could only have one meat on a, uh, my desert, a desert island, right. it's actually going to be, um, if I'm allowed to have brisket and beef ribs, I would do both. But if I can only do one, it's actually going to be beef rib. You know, beef ribs, when you say ribs to someone, right away they think pork ribs. You know, whether it's uh, um, baby backs, the, you know, St. Louis cut or, you know, any cut. But beef ribs are fantastic. People should really, if they haven't tried making those, they're not difficult to make. And, they're, and they just, they taste great. I mean, yeah, I think it's an underrated item and you will find it on more and more menus, thankfully. Um, often it's a little, it can be a little pricey, mm-hmm. but I do right. think it's worth it. Especially you're sharing with a group of people, right. it's great. But by yourself, is it's a, it's a heck of a meal. Right. But if you're with a group, it's perfect. You share it with. I was actually at the Windy City Smokeout recently in Chicago, and uh, we bought a beef rib from uh, Louis Mueller. So um, uh, uh, Wayne Mueller uh, Barbecue, Louis Mueller Barbecue in Texas. And um, it was out of this world good, but we shared it. And so I think, like, the, this is the thing about beef rib. Always good to share your beef rib, not just eat it yourself. Yeah, they are, they're big. Oh, they're, it's they're enormous. They're really, really large. And they're, they just, it, they're impressive looking, too. You've got this bone with a big piece of meat on it, and it's just, and it's, it could, it's so tender. Uh, well, you know, I'm ready to go back we, for more yeah, food. We're ready for more barbecue. <laughs> I mean, ready. that was. <laughs> I mean, so you must have really enjoyed uh, yeah. John Brown Smokehouse. Yeah, then. John Brown Smokehouse was great. Now, now I, guys, uh, yeah, subscribe to both newsletters, NYC Barbecue Weekly or NYC BBQ Weekly, and also Smoke Sheet. You get that in, into your inbox once a week. There's links on it where you can look look at other uh, competitions and restaurants and. All kinds of interesting tidbits. But I want to ask, I want to ask Sean another question. Um, John Browns. So in New York, I would imagine that, you know, there's not a lot of places, I don't know of any places that are going to have, you know, like in Franklin's Barbecue where they have smokers with wood and everything, you know, with all our fire codes and everything. Uh, what kind of smokers are they using at, at these places? Uh, those over there, I believe, are Southern Prides. So I believe they're gas assist, but okay. that, unfortunately, if you're using a small space, I think a lot of these places have to have that. However, there are places that are using the real deal. Really? Um, if you go to Mothership Meat Company, which is a sister restaurant to John Brown Smokehouse, they're using oiler, uh, oiler smokers. Um, if you go to Hometown Barbecue, uh, they've got real smokers out on the water that they use. To, they're they're making you know all they're going all night. Um, if you go to Juicy Lucy Barbecue in Staten Island, they have uh, a few smokers that are there on site, and then they have a few smokers that are away from the restaurant uh, uh, that are there. There they had they needed more room for more smokers, and so you know you do have you do have genuine you know. Um, Texas style, you know, real wood smokers that are going on here as well. So it is a it is a little bit harder here in New York because you have building codes and fire codes, and the city is a real pain in the butt here when it comes to um, you know barbecue restaurants. 
um, you know, but it's New York City, so it's going to be, you know, when it comes to regulations on restaurants, probably going to be more regulations here than almost anywhere else. Now, I, I, I was, I, I was thinking about it. I was going to ask you, tell us, you know, your favorite place around, but you know what? I, we can't do that to you. No, we can Well, first of all, I don't know if he could pick one place exactly or, but being the, the face and the person that does New York City Barbecue Weekly, you can't do that because then, you know, you'll get a lot of people angry at you. You know what I will say? I will say um, you, you, can, you can definitely just make sure there's a, a few places that you should check out for sure. I, and I, I just say, like, um, if you're going to be visiting New York and you can only go to one place that, you know, if you're willing to go would be Hometown Barbecue. I think you have to go to Hometown just to try it. It is, at least in terms of um, sheer popularity and reputation, it is, you know, it's, it's our number one by those measures. And where is that? Uh, in Red Hook, Brooklyn. That's the one in Red Hook. Okay. Yes. I and so that one, I've seen that one on shows. I w- but I will say, when it comes to some of the newer players, Juicy Lucy Barbecue on Staten Island is outstanding. Definitely should go there. Um, if you're looking for um, in Queens here, John Brown Smokehouse and Mothership Meat Company, both very good. Um, you know, John Brown is, is older, Kansas City style. Mothership is more Texas. And I think just trying to you know expand my my palate here in Brooklyn, there was Morgan's in Brooklyn. There's Mabel's. You know, there's a lot of very good barbecue joints around the city. But I just you know. It's, it's hard to just pick one because I think you could go to each one identify one item. They're like, oh, my God, this item is the one you need to get. And you could go around all these different restaurants mm-hmm. and feel that way about specific items or specials that you're just in love with. Well, I want to thank our guest, Sean Ludwig, for coming. Could people follow you on Twitter? you have a Twitter address? Yeah, Sean, uh, S-E-A-N-L-U-D-W-I-G, Sean Ludwig, or New York BBQ on Twitter, NYC BBQ on uh, Instagram and Facebook. So Sean, check out all the social yeah. media sites. We can't thank you enough. This was fantastic. We appreciate it. We really do. I really appreciate you having me on, and I'm looking forward to including you on our next installment of Best uh, Best Barbecue Podcast. We, All just, right. we just have to make sure the check clears. Yeah. <laughs> and and we have to get Ryan. We have to get Ryan Cooper to uh, to join us, and we can talk about barbecue all over the country. And, and this is just the beginning, beginning of hopefully a very good friendship. So we really, meeting you has been a pleasure. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you very much. I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. And if you want to reach the show, give us a call at 516-855-8214 and leave a voicemail. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our Facebook page. And also, check out our Twitter. Our Twitter address is at baseballandbbq. So, Len, as we promised in the past, we're going to do a lesser-known Hall of Famer, but I'm changing the name to Hall of Famer of the Day. Hall of Famer of the day, not yeah. a lesser-known Hall of Famer. No, let's say, let's change it to Hall of Famer of the day, okay. and we'll just speak to about a, a a Hall of Famer. Okay, that and that allows us to talk about even the current Hall of Famers, which most people probably know. Probably, yes. Right. So let's not have anyone say that we don't keep our promises. We we, we always do. Baseball and BBQ, the podcast that keeps its promises. <laughs> That's a good tagline. But today we're going to talk about Fred Clifford Clark. Fred Clark, who was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1945. What team did he play for, Mr. Aberman? 
Well, he started with the uh, the Louis the Louisville Colonels, okay, in 1894, and he played with them for five years until in 1900 he played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. His career was from 1894 to 1915, 21 years. In fact, his first game he was 21 years old, and his last game he retired at the age of 42. Wow. Yeah. That's probably didn't even make uh, the amount of, well, no, he definitely didn't make <laughs> anything as, uh, in those years, but incredible. Right. So, you know, his, his, his statistics are pretty good. I mean, you know, you're talking about the turn of the century, not right. this past, the last right. century from the 1800s to the 1900s. He had a career 312 batting average. He, had, he wasn't a home run hitter. Nope. He, was, he only had 67 home runs. He did walk a lot. He led the league in 1909 with 80 walks. But I would think his best year, looking by the statistics, is, is 1903 with Pittsburgh. He stole a lot of bases. Did you say that? I'm he's, sorry. Yeah, he's, okay. uh, he walked. Yeah, uh, but he also stole. Yeah, he had, he had over 500 stolen bases. Right. And he, he played with Honus Wagner. He did. He okay. was a teammate of Honus Wagner. Right. In 1903 was probably his best year where he led the league in, in doubles, in slugging percentage, and on base percentage. An on-base plus slugging percentage. He also batted three fifty-one. So that was, I think, his his, uh, his best year. But he still, it was many years. He batted over three hundred eleven times. You know, it's amazing because he started his career in eighteen ninety-four. Yes. That was only ten years after pitchers were allowed to throw overhand. What people, what some people may not know, is baseball used to be it was underhand. Pitchers weren't allowed to throw overhand until 18, 1884 was when they were allowed to throw overhand. And he also was a player manager. Yes, and a very young player manager. He, he, he was 24 years old. He was the manager of the Louisville Colonels, and then he managed the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right, and won a world championship with them in, in 1909. Right. 1909. Len, would you please do us the, the, the distinction of reading his Hall of Fame plaque? It would be my honor. Fred Clark... The first of the successful boy managers. At 24, he piloted Louisville's, Louisville's Colonels in the National League, won four, four pennants for Pittsburgh and a world championship in 1909, started as an outfielder for 22 seasons. And what did Hall of Fame historian Lee Allen say about him? He was one of the fastest base runners of all time. He used his elbows in running as much as his legs and tried to jar the ball loose whenever the infielders held it. A style led to numerous altercations. I can I can imagine that. Can you imagine? Uh, they'd, they'd probably change a lot of rules if he played today. Uh, yes. Yeah, they'd call him the, uh, the Fred Clark rule. One of the other things that you'll notice, I read the plaque, and even though he had a, a very long career... And a lot of accomplishments. It was very short. You remember when we went to the Hall of Fame and we were told that the older plaques, because of the font, uh, they weren't able to put as much as nowadays they could put you know, a lot more information. A lot more information. Yes. Yeah. That is true. His, his plaque really doesn't, uh, it doesn't do it, say anything. It doesn't do its, doesn't his, do its justice. Right. It yes. doesn't talk about his stats at all. It actually just talks about his managerial um, career. I mean that he was, and it talks about he was an outfielder for 22 seasons. 
but he was an amazing player. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1945. He was voted in by the right. All-Timers Committee. Right. Uh, died in 1960. So, yeah, he died. At least, in, he was, uh, how old was he? He was 80, uh, 87. 87 years right. old. So at least he got, to, he got to see, you know, he got to be there right. when he was voted in. Yeah. Yeah, so that's our Hall of Famer of the day, Fred Clifford Clark. If you know about Fred Clifford Clark and you want to send us some information on him, certainly please do so. And we would be glad to read all your comments or whatever. Maybe have a little story about Fred Clifford Clark. Let us know. Okay, and what else do you want to talk about, Len? On August 2nd, the New York Times has a, had a story called We're Lab Rats, a baseball league where stealing first is okay. It's basically a story about rule changes that they're having the Atlantic League experiment with. Which is mandated by Major League Baseball, which is probably right. smart to get into an agreement with an independent league because you can't really implement that in the minor leagues because they're actually developing into be Major League players and you can't do different rules. Right. So using a non-affiliated league is probably the best idea. And I hope they're getting paid handsomely for it. Although, it, yes, I hope so too, but but although in the minor leagues, even the National League minor leagues, the DH is used. Right, which is stupid, but that's another, uh, that's another issue. That's a whole other podcast. So now let's go over some of these. Let's go over some of these, and okay. I want to see what you think. All right. All right? Yep. So... And, they, and in this particular article, they focus a lot. Um, they have Wally Backman quoted, but let's just talk about the rules. Okay. The rules themselves. Okay. All right. So here we go. Pitchers must step off the rubber to make a pickoff attempt. I thought that was already a rule. Okay. Okay. Batters are allowed one foul bunt with two strikes. So instead of, you know, you get two strikes and then you bunt it foul and you're out. You bunted foul, and you still are alive. Nope. Bad roll. Next. Okay. Batters can steal first base on any pitch not caught by the catcher. You know what? No. But I think they should be able... Well, they should be actually running when they pass the ball on a third strike, which they don't run anymore. They should run the first base. I know in, in uh, travel ball or little league, they do that because you teach them to run when they pass the ball. But they don't do it in the major leagues. Uh, they should do it. But I don't like the, the stealing of first base. That's that's dumb. Next. Okay. Checked swing calls are supposed to be more batter friendly. All right. That's a tough one. That's a really that's a that's an umpire's judgment. That's right. That I mean, is. So what are they going to do? They're going to uh, if if they think the guy's out, they I, I don't know. I, I, that's yeah. That's judgment call. Let's see. Okay. Hold on. Bases are larger. Yeah, the bases are larger. But 18 inches from 15 inches. Now, the only problem with that is it's not 90 feet between bases anymore. It's 89 feet, 9 inches. So they're screwing with the dimensions. Now, I would think a better idea would be to have a second first base on the foul side so you, you avoid the collision. So that, I think that would be a better idea, but I don't like the base larger just because the dimensions are now a little different. Now, here's one that's going to cause these uh, pitchers to become great actors. And uh -huh. I'll tell you what I mean. Okay? No mound visits by players or coaches other than for pitching changes or in case of possible injury. 
So how many players, how many pitchers are going to be there and there's going to be a signal coming from the dugout that they should feign an injury. And the next thing you know, they're grabbing their calf or they're, they're kind of moving their shoulder a little bit funny or something so that the, the, uh, the, umpire, the umpire, the manager, will be able to come out. You know, they implemented five mound visits in, in the major leagues. And, and you know what? Really didn't screw up the game. I mean, I, you really didn't notice. But... There are times when a pitcher needs a, a pitching coach to come out saying, "Oh, you find something mechanical. You got to, you know, try to try to fix it." That should be allowed. So I, I don't like this rule. So I I nix this rule. Yeah, and Commissioner Jeff nixes the rule, and I agree with you. And the other thing is, it says no mound visits by players either. You know how a catcher he, goes out. Yeah, the catcher goes out, or the third baseman comes over, or. I mean, let's go back to when Keith Hernandez was uh, the first baseman for the Mets. I mean, he ran that infield. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe a catcher needs to go out to the pitcher and say, listen, the guy in second will go in second second sign or third sign, just to go over it. No, I, Like I said, I nixed the rule. Next. Okay. Now, no infield shifting, so you're not going to have the shifts. There has to be two infielders must be positioned on each side of second base. I don't like the shift. But I'm not. I'm. I'm nixing this rule, because you know what? Shifting should be allowed. You should be able to set up your defense to where you think the hitter's going to hit the ball. Now, the hitter's got to be smart enough to hit it away, hit it the other way. I've been saying that for years. Just go, you know, go the other way. Hit the ball where they ain't. Right. Just like when you play your outfield in or your infield out, or you choose, right. you should not be and. If the player, sometimes the player gets burned. Sometimes the center fielder is playing too deep, the ball falls in front of him. Sometimes he's playing too shallow, the ball goes over his head. But it should not be relegated where you can put your players. Time between innings reduced by 20 seconds to 1 minute 45 seconds. That rule I'll keep. I like that rule. It's not, you know what? Who's going to notice 20 seconds, but over the course of a game, it's a couple of minutes? That's fine. Uh, you know what? The only thing, only apprehension I have is they'll stick commercials during the during the game. Right. You know, they'll have a little bug on the under the score scoreboard in the corner there. You know, and uh, whatever. They'll, they'll they'll find ways to put the revenue back. No problem. And I don't know how they came up with 20 seconds. I, it's just I I don't know. I find that to be ridiculous. But whatever. They want to take away 20 seconds. More power to them. All right. Now, here's one. Pitchers must face at least three batters or reach the end of an inning before they can leave the game, except in cases of injury. Hmm. You know what? This is a tough one. I think pitchers should be able to pitch more than, to more than one batter. I mean, they're, they're, very, they're professional pitchers. I don't like to see the, this parade of pitchers coming one at a time. But then again, you're taking out some of the strategy. I, I don't know. This one, is. It, I can go either way. I just feel that, you know, pitchers should be able to pitch more than more than one batter. But you do have that left inning, that the left-handed specialist who's going to lose his job. Um, I don't know. I, I I I don't know about this one. All right. Well, here's one that I'm uh, indifferent. Okay. It's okay. Yeah, you could be indifferent. All right. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> here's one that this this is I don't know. This is probably the biggest one. Um, because this one is really relying on technology. The automated strike zone. Perhaps, I'm reading from the article. Perhaps, I should actually say who wrote this article. It's by Tyler Kepner. 
okay, of the New York Times. And here it is. The automated strike zone, perhaps the most radical of the experiments, made its debut at the Atlantic League All-Star Game last month and in New Britain on Tuesday. It works this way. MLB's TrackMan radar system judges each pitch and sends the call, ball or strike, in a male voice through a wireless earpiece to the home plate umpire, who simply repeats the call, unless there has been a clear error by the system, which can be fooled by balls that bounce before or even after the plate. Right. What do you, what do you think of that? You know what? I, I've come around. I, I'm kind of liking the idea of an automated strike zone, but, you know, there's a difference of, of people uh, who play the game. You know, there's, they're different. The height. The height. Yeah. Someone's height. Exactly. Yeah. You, have, you got a 5'10 player and a 6'10 player. Right. And the they strike, have different strike zones. Different strike zones. Right. They have to adjust the automated strike zone for each player. Right. It's not fair to have, you know, a strike zone for everybody who's not the same size. Right. And I don't know, I don't know how it works exactly, but I hope that that's what they're doing. Um, if not, I'm sure there'll be a lot of arguments about that, but I'm hoping that they do. Well, I already saw a replay where it was very low, right? and the batter turned around and said, what are you, crazy? And then the umpire said, he just pointed to his ear. Says it's a strike. What do you want me to do? Don't argue with me. Yeah, argue with the computer. Yeah, but they can, they can, they can, they over, can overrule they it. They can overrule it, Okay, but, but didn't hit the dirt, Right. so it was called the strike right. by the by the machine. It makes it very easy for the umpire to, uh, you know, to not have any... Uh, you know, influence in it. I mean, not yeah. influence, but you know what I mean. It's it's very easy for them to just right, like you said. Yeah. Point to the ear. Point to that. <laughs> you know what? They're taking a lot of responsibility off the umpires. Any close play is being reviewed uh, by by a central system, by a central station. So any close play, and which I really hate, by the way, when an announcer goes, "Oh, it's going to be close play at the plate, and he's out." Well, hold on. Let's take a look. I mean, that that, that happens. Right. Every time. That happens every time. Now with a, with a strike zone. Now, you know, what do you need an umpire for? I, I guess for the check swings. I mean, you don't need for safe out calls anymore because that's just a, a replay. Just, that's all they got to do. Right. So it's all, eventually, if, if it goes this way, it's all going to be automated. They're going to have something where, you know, the, the bag is going to be automated. So they're going to have if the foot hit the bag first or there'll be a sensor in the glove. Oh, yeah. It's how, the, where it's going. Well, yeah. A lighted base. You know, the foot hits the ba- base. The base lights up. You know, who caught it or was the base side up first? Now, who knows? Right. It's good. Technology, it's going to take it over. Now, another thing that they say in the article, okay, so there's a quote here in this article. It says, the one rule I'm seeing that has the most effect is the step off or else you're balking rule, said Moro Gazzo, the New Britain Bees manager and a former Major League pitcher. It takes the lefty pickoff move away. It takes away the inside move to try to pick off a runner or keep him close at second. Anybody with speed has the ability to get a better jump, so there's more risk-taking at stealing bases. What, what are they, trying to get the speed game back? Uh, maybe. Yeah. It may be. Now, here's another thing. It says, as for stealing first base, hitters are still learning. The Bees' Mike Carp, who won a World Series ring as a reserve for the Red Sox in 2003, said remembering that rule can be tricky. I understand. This is what he says. You're used to playing the game one way your whole life, and when they throw in these little changes, it's different, especially stealing first base, he said. I can see how that might come into effect late in the game, but you're not thinking that in the box. The ball gets by, 
you're locked into your next pitch. That's right. Yep. It's a change of thinking. Anyway, again, would love to hear what you guys think about these rule changes. Uh, rule changes. These are rules that Major League Baseball is considering. They're basically using the Atlantic League as the guinea pigs. Right. And let's see what happens. All right. Let's see what happens. See how many, if they adopt all of them, some of them, we'll see. Jeff does not like most of them. Though. I don't like most of them, but I think the automated, automated strike zone is coming. But, you know, it really takes a lot of responsibility off, off of the umpires because they say they'll just blame it on the, the, the machine. Yeah. Now, I and they've really got to change it for each player. Because, you know, Aaron Judge and, and uh, you know, Ahmad Rosario are, you know, a foot of different in height. You know what this does, too? It gives someone like me who, you know, even with glasses sometimes my sight isn't the best. Right. So I could be a major league umpire. I could be behind the plate. I'm sure I can listen to whether it's a ball or a strike in my ear. That's I it. can do that. That's it. Yeah. So I, you don't have to have the best vision anymore to be uh, uh, behind the plate. Nope. Nope. And with that, give us a call. 8516-855-8214. Email us. Baseball and BBQ at gmail.com. Tweet us. That's right. A new Twitter address at Baseball and BBQ. Like us on our Facebook, Facebook page and... And Instagram. That's right. Instagram. And I was going to say also where to find us. Well, listen, Instagram is a little different. Our okay. name is Baseball and Barbecue, all spelled out. Ah, Baseball and, yeah, spell out Barbecue. Right. Yes. The other thing is where to find us. Where to find us. Well, we're on, uh, now it's Apple. Apple Podcast. Right, Apple Podcast. We're on iHeartRadio. Yes. We're on Spotify. Spotify. Stitcher. Google Play. Right. Baseballpodcast.net. We have uh, the website you can get our episodes on, right? www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. We really should just have a paper that we look at because it's getting it's 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 kind of getting like when you go to the grocery store yeah. and, you, and you think you're getting one item or two items, right. but then when you get a list of five or something, you start writing it down. Oh, that's it when I go. To, that's when I go Home Depot. It's, it's dangerous. Anyway, anyway, that's it for baseball and BBQ. Until next time, I'm Jeff. I'm Len, and thank you very much to our special guest, Sean Ludwig. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the interview. See ya. I'm a changed man. Just listen to the song. Hey, they come in and meet me. Y'all will see me eat, man. Get on the meat, man. Y'all will see me eat, man. I got jaws like a bad trap, a teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a mustard green or showing a hell of like a meat in the meat, man. Y'all will see me eat, man.